Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. My name is Bernie Wagonblast. Today's topic is a timely one. We're going to be discussing the Manual on Uniform Traffic Control Devices, or as it's better known, the MUTCD. Our guest is Jeff Lindley, the Deputy Executive Director and Chief Technical Officer at the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bernie. Happy to be here. As I mentioned in the introduction, we're going to be talking today about the MUTCD, the Manual on Uniform Traffic Control Devices. Now, probably most of the listeners to this podcast are familiar with that, but for those who aren't, why don't we start off with a very basic question? What is the MUTCD? The MUTCD is sort of the Bible of traffic control devices, and traffic control devices in the parlance of traffic professionals, transportation professionals, are those things that help communicate the rules of the road to motorists and to other users, pedestrians, bicyclists, and others, in terms of signs, in terms of traffic signals, and in terms of pavement markings. You'll hear me talk about sign signals and markings, kind of rolls off the tongue. (laughs) Uh, But it really is the national standard that defines how traffic control devices are designed and how they're implemented on the transportation system. Before you joined ITE, you worked at USDOT in the Federal Highway Administration, and one of your responsibilities there was the MUTCD. The manual is now in its 10th edition. Tell us a bit about its history and how we got to where we are now. Sure. So like a lot of things, if you you want to understand uh, where we are, you've got to go back almost to the beginning of how it got started. And if you go back a hundred years or so to when the automobile was being adopted in the U.S. in a big way, automobiles were bigger and heavier and faster and frankly more dangerous than other forms of transportation at the time. It was pretty quickly understood that there was a need to adopt some rules of the road and things that would accommodate the safe and orderly movement of these new things that were now using the transportation system, and which led to the need for traffic control devices, as I said, the sign signals and markings. But what happened as transportation agencies started down the path of developing traffic control devices, they quickly ran into a uniformity problem. Each jurisdiction had its own rules. It had its own traffic control devices. And so there was lots of variation in terms of what those devices looked like and how they were used and where they were placed. And if you go back to the 1920s and think about something as simple as a stop sign, there were many designs that were in use for stop signs that we all now take for granted are, you know, they're octagonal, they're red and white, they say stop in capital letters, and everyone, as they approach an intersection that approaches that device, knows that they need to stop. In fact, few people actually read the words on the sign. It's so (laughs) recognizable, you know, which is the benefit of having uniformity. 
there was some early activity starting in the states to try and get uh, uniformity on a state level. And then across state lines, the American Association of State Highway Officials, which is the predecessor of the current day AASHTO, developed a manual for traffic control devices that was primarily designed for rural areas in 1927. Uh, There was a companion piece that was developed by the American Engineering Council through a group called the National Conference on Street and Highway Safety that was focused more on urban areas in 1932. So there was some early attempts at uniformity, but even having two manuals created its own set of issues. So there was an effort in the early 1930s to form a group called the Joint Committee on Uniform Traffic Control Devices, which was primarily those two groups that had developed the competing uh, manuals, and they issued the first MUTCD in 1935. And it was pretty small by today's standards. It was less than 200 pages long, but it included you know, information on sign signals and markings. And over time, the manual has grown in terms of what it contains. ITE became part of the Joint Committee in the 1940s. About the same time, the Bureau of Public Roads, which is a predecessor organization for the Federal Highway Administration, got involved. And eventually, the MUTCD became recognized as a national standard, and it is now required for use on any road that is open to public travel. Uh, And as you said, we're now in the 10th edition after 86 years, I guess. And the manual is now almost a thousand pages long. So quite a bit bigger than, (laughs) than where we started. But there is a proposal now to put out an 11th edition of the manual in the in the near future. So long history. Well, when you gave that history, you talked about some of the groups that were involved with its creation, and obviously they have evolved over time. But the MUTCD is not just the creation of one entity. There's a mix of players, including the federal government, the National Committee on Uniform Traffic Control Devices, as well as ITE. Give us an overview, if you would, Jeff, of the roles that each plays in the creation of the MUTCD, please. So let's start with the Federal Highway Administration. FHWA is the owner of the MUTCD. It's adopted as a federal standard. And as I said, it's required for use on all roads open to public travel. So as a national standard, the changes to the manual are adopted through the rulemaking process that is used for federal regulations. And we'll come back to that uh, later on. There's a small team in the Federal Highway Administration Office of Operations, where I used to work, that is responsible for all things MUTCD. They answer questions, they do interpretations, they provide technical assistance, training, and most importantly, they're responsible for updating the content in the manual when it needs to be updated and publishing that uh, new content for public comment and eventually for adoption in a new version of the manual. The National Committee, the National Committee on Uniform Traffic Control Devices, which is a descendant of that joint committee that was formed uh, way back 100 years ago, its primary responsibility at this point is to provide proposals for newer revised MUTCD content to FHWA. 
And the national committee currently has about 20 sponsoring organizations that has kind of ebbed and flowed over the years, including ITE. ITE has been part of the organization since uh, it was adopted in its current form about 30 years ago. And the sponsoring organizations provide members to the national committee There are voting members, there are non-voting members, but each sponsoring organization has a delegation to the national committee. There's a detailed committee structure uh, that the national committee uses that's organized the way the MUTCD is organized. So there's a committee on signs, there's a committee on markings, committee on traffic signals, and they use a very specific, very detailed process for preparing and approving proposals that eventually get sent to FHWA. So the material that the National Committee works on in between updates of the manual, in large part, influences what eventually becomes part of the manual uh, when the manual is updated. So I mentioned ITE is part of that process. We and AASHTO have the largest delegations to the National Committee. We have a 16-person delegation, as does AASHTO. We have eight voting and eight non-voting members as part of that delegation. And those folks are drawn from the membership of ITE, folks with you know some experience and some expertise in traffic control devices. And we try to make sure that we are representing a broad set of perspectives. We also, and this is internal to ITE, we have a group of folks that are reviewers of proposals that come out of the national committee. And because it's our process, there's no limit to the number of reviewers that we can have be part of that process. So we currently have about 20 folks. They're kind of friends of the delegation, and they get asked to review proposals at the same time our members of the delegation get asked to review proposals. And it helps us ensure that the entirety of the broad perspective of ITE's membership gets represented in the process. Anyone who's an ITE member, and I know a lot of our listeners are, who has an interest in this and some expertise, which most traffic and transportation professionals do, and has a willingness to work on reviewing proposals can be part of that process. So if anyone out there is interested in potentially becoming a reviewer, contact me after this podcast and we can make that happen. FHWA issued a notice of proposed amendment for the 11th edition of the manual. Now, it's been a while since 2009 when the last edition came out. Is that time span typical between editions? And why does it take so long for FHWA to update the manual? The time span, which I guess we're at 12 years now and counting since the adoption of the last version of the manual, you know, that time span is not unheard of in the history of the MUTCD. I think there have been uh, new versions of the manual issued as short as three years between versions. That was kind of a special case in the early 2000s. There really wasn't a ton that changed in that uh, new version of the manual. But typically, kind of six to ten years between versions is probably typical. So we're on the far end, definitely on the far end of the time that Uh, you would like to see pass between new editions of the manual, but it's not totally unheard of in the history of the manual. You know, the reason that it takes so long and is so complicated to update the manual is primarily because it's adopted as a federal standard. 
And so updating it requires using the process for federal rulemaking. And that process you know, requires that FHWA, when they want to make changes to the manual, they have to go through a very deliberate process of describing what's being proposed, what changes are, are they seeking, uh, why those changes are being proposed, and what the likely impacts are of those changes, both positive and negative. Benefits and costs usually are at the other side of that. You know, so for instance, for the version that's out there right now, that explanation runs into the hundreds of pages before you get into the changes that are actually being adopted. So it's a pretty complicated process. And on top of the complexity of putting the proposal out, there is the public comment process that comes with it because all federal regulations, you know, have to come with an opportunity for folks that are affected to comment potentially affected. And in this case, all of us are potentially affected by provisions in the MUTCD. So in the case of the NPA that is currently out, there was originally a 90-day comment period that FHWA put out. ITE and other organizations asked for an extension because the version of the manual that we're being asked to comment on is over a thousand pages long. And so we were granted an extra 60 days. So there's a 150-day comment period. And then FHWA will take in the responses that they get. And I don't have the final number that they received by the comment deadline this year or this round. But for example, when I was at FHWA, there were, when we adopted the 2009 manual, we received about 2,000 sets of comments through that process, which identified about 15,000 issues we needed to resolve before we could finalize the new version of the manual. The last number I did see in terms of the number of comments this time is the number of submissions was approaching 10,000. So lots of input. And then after FHW receives that input, they have to finalize a new version of the manual, taking all of those comments into consideration. And when a new manual is published, they have to explain how they took those comments into consideration. So it becomes a pretty complicated process that's very complex, but is also designed to be pretty transparent with lots of opportunity for input, you know, because it's something that affects the safety of all users of the transportation system. You want to get it right because of the complexity of the process and how long it takes, although I might argue that given what I just said, it's a miracle that we <laughs> get, you know, a manual as quickly as we do once that process starts in the amount of time that we do. It's not something you want to do often. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, you know, having 12 years between manuals is not ideal, but doing it on a much shorter cycle if the federal rulemaking process has to be used, which it does, it's just not possible to do it quite as quickly as, as folks would like. Can there be updates made in between editions of the MUTCD? I'm thinking, for instance, in 2009, when the last edition came out, rideshare services like Lyft and Uber weren't out there. And perhaps there was a need for signage, say, at an airport to indicate where you would go to these rideshare services. How do you accommodate 
changes in between editions? And is it just sort of the wild west? Anybody puts out what they want and waits for the next edition and then it has to adjust? So there is a process to make adjustments to the manual between editions. FHWA has the ability to issue what they call an interim approval of a new traffic control device or an adjustment to an existing traffic control device. For example, about oh, three or four years ago, there was an interim approval that was issued that was related to bicycle signals because bike signals you know, were not commonly in use uh, when the 2009 manual came out. There were a number of changes that had been experimented with in cities where bicycle signals are used. And there were provisions that were important enough to get out and used in the community so that they were adopted in an interim approval. The FHWA doesn't like to do too many interim approvals because one of the reasons that you call it an interim approval is it hasn't been through the full rulemaking process. So it is not been subject to the same level of public comment that you would when you revise the manual. And so really it's kind of a provisional approval so that public agencies can use the change before a new manual is adopted. And the intent is that the interim change would be adopted in the next official version of the manual. So there is a process that's available to do that for things that sort of rise to the level of needing to be addressed in between new versions of the METCD. You talked, Jeff, about where we are with the process. And as this podcast is being released just a short time beforehand, the public comment period shut down. But when do you think we'll actually see the approved 11th edition of the MUTCD released? That's kind of the million-dollar question. Uh, if you're a transportation professional, given the process that I outlined, I think that FHWA is going to do their best to get through the process and issue a new version of the manual as quickly as they can. Based on history, you know, based on the 2009 manual, for example, that process will take at least six months. And given the number of comments, which is a pretty large increase from the last time around, you know, I think we're probably into early 2022 before we, uh, we see a new version of the manual. And like I say, given the process and how much there is to deal with, folks will not be happy that it takes that long, but it's a complicated process. You talked about ITE's role in the creation and giving feedback on the MUTCD. Speaking for ITE, what are the organization's views on the update and where do you think we go from here? You know, we have obviously in, uh, multiple opportunities to express views as part of the NPA process. You know, we have the delegation to the National Committee that I talked about, and the National Committee submitted lots and lots of comments as part of the process. Our members as individuals can submit comments as well. We solicited input from our members and from our councils and standing committees that have an interest in traffic control devices during the process. And we put together an organizational response that we submitted to FHWA and to the Federal Register as part of the process. And it contained about 20 issues that we thought were the highest priority issues 
issues of the greatest significance, but pretty high level issues with respect to the publication of a new manual and where the manual really should go in, into the future. We organized the responses around three themes that are getting, I think, a lot of conversation uh, within the community. So first, we stated very clearly that the manual needs to focus equally on all users. And back at the beginning of our conversation, you know, when we talked a little bit about the history, the manual was born, you know, because the automobile was born and created issues that needed to be addressed. And so at the beginning, the MUTCD was a very auto-centric publication designed to, to make sure there was orderly and safe uh, movement of vehicles. Over time, that auto-centric nature has evolved for sure. There's a separate part in the manual on bicycle facilities. Uh, we included in our comments that we think there needs to be a, a separate part on pedestrian traffic control devices that apply to pedestrians. And there's a lot of material in the manual that covers pedestrians. But we really think there needs to be a focus that is equal in terms of all user groups, particularly vulnerable road users pedestrians, bicyclists, and others. The second theme to our comments was that we believe there needs to be additional room for flexibility and innovation in the manual. You know, and one of the things we didn't talk about is sort of what's in the manual. And the manual really, if, if you grossly simplify it, the manual is made up of largely of standard statements and guidance statements. And standard statements are things that you have to do in terms of design or placement of traffic control devices, and guidance statements are things that you should do. And the standard statements in the manual, there are more than a thousand standard statements in the manual, and we think that's too many. There are certainly lots of places where and lots of issues where you want absolute uniformity and absolute standardization. We talked about stop signs earlier. It's a great example. But there are a lot of cases where, you know, the situation is a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more influenced by local conditions, and you don't need absolute uniformity. You do need consistency, and you do need guidance to transportation professionals on what they should be doing in a given situation. But absolute uniformity isn't necessarily required. And then the third theme of our comments was that we wanted to reemphasize that the MUTCD needs to be a forward-looking document. The transportation system doesn't look like what it looked like 10 years ago or 12 years ago when the manual last came out. And the, the system will look different 10 years from now. And the manual needs to be able to adapt to those changes, and we just talked about, you know, what happens between manuals, it needs to be able to adapt to those changes in a more nimble fashion than, than we've gotten used to. And in fact, we had sent a prior letter to FHWA that we reiterated in our response that we think it's time to do a full re-examination of the manual itself in terms of what its scope is, what its content is, how it's structured, if there are ways to streamline it, if there are ways to offer more flexibility, and 
if there are ways to reduce the time between updates. Uh, you know, we think that there could be ways to do more surgical updates of the content without having to put out the thousand page document for public comment. This year, we're going to focus on part six. Part six is work zones. We're just going to focus on the content in one part of the manual and seek to make necessary changes to that one part of the manual and you know, get those changes implemented. And next year, we'll focus on bicycle facilities. It seems like there are ways that could be explored to update the content more frequently without compromising the ability to have a good public dialogue about what the manual contains and what it should contain. And that's the direction we'd like to see, see FHWA head. We've been talking on this episode of ITE Talks Transportation with Jeff Lindley, the Deputy Executive Director and Chief Technical Officer at ITE. Jeff, thanks so much for being part of the podcast. Thanks, Bernie. It was fun.